And good morning, everybody. I'm really glad to see a lot of you that I haven't seen in a long time. I know we live in the same city, but um, it's a big city. How about that? If you have a Bible, would you turn to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis in chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. It is a great privilege to be with you, and we will look at God's Word together today, seeking to know His will for our lives. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we turn to you because we trust no one like we trust you. Even when we read these words, we know we must come to you because we call no one our teacher but you. We cry out to you now and say, we want these words that were spoken so long ago, thousands of years ago, to speak into our lives today and to change us, to give us hope, to give us purpose, to give us relief from the burdens that we bear. We come to you asking for that. And so we pray that you'll send Holy Spirit to us now and that he will fill every heart in this room. Lord, may we see you anew, may we hear you speak. May our hearts be softened so that you may be served. Amen. I can remember my mother saying all kinds of crazy things to me when I was growing up. But one of the things that she said that, was, that turned out to be true was this. She said after I came home one day and some kids had teased me and called me all kinds of bad names, she said this to me. She said, Richie, if one person calls you a bad name, just forget it. If two people call you a bad name, you should think about it for a minute. And then she said, if everybody calls you that bad name, it's probably true. <laughs> well, I don't know if you know this or not, but you go to a Presbyterian church. Did you know that? And if there's one thing that almost everybody in the world calls you and me who go to Presbyterian churches, it's this. You are the frozen chosen. And if everybody in the world tells us that, it's probably true. You can count on it. Now, there are all kinds of reasons why people who go to a church like this one could be called the frozen chosen, but I want to give you another word here to let you know that it's not just Presbyterians who are looked at this way. When you go outside of this country and you talk to Christians around the world, do you know what they think about American Christians? The same thing. The same thing. Why do people around the world think of you and me as people who are frozen up, who are locked down, who are somehow so captured 
by the belief that they've been specially blessed by God or chosen by God that we have actually frozen up in that condition. Why would people around the world say that about you and me? Well, like my mother said, if everybody's saying that about you, it's got to be true. Now, this passage we just read about from Genesis chapter 12 is appropriate for this question of why they would call us frozen, chosen people. Because this is the passage where God makes it clear that he has chosen Abraham to be his special servant. But when God chooses Abraham to be his special servant, he makes it impossible for Abraham to freeze up. He makes it impossible. So maybe if you and I can see what God said to Abraham on the day that he chose Abram, then maybe we can understand how you and I can thaw out a little bit and become the unfrozen chosen people of God. How would it be to be specially loved by God and not shut down? How would it be to be specially loved by God and not turn the world off? How would it be to be specially loved by God and to thaw out and be alive? Well, that's what God tells Abraham right here in this passage. And we're going to see this first by the way God challenges Abraham as to whom he trusts. Do you remember what it says in the first verse? That the Lord had said to Abram, leave your family, leave your household, leave them all behind and go to the land that I will show you. Now, a lot of times when people see movies or they read children's books about Abram, we have the impression that Abram was like a modern Bedouin. That means he had a tent or two. In today's language, it would mean also that he had a pickup truck with a satellite dish, but not that back in 2000 BC. But Abram living in a tent with a couple of goats and a few kids running around. And so what would be the big deal of God telling a man like that, a Bedouin, What would be the big deal of telling him to get up and leave everything behind? Well, that impression that we have of Abram is false. It's not true. When we read the story of Abram, and even when we think about the setting where Abram lived, it just simply wasn't true that Abram was a poor Bedouin whom God called to leave practically nothing behind. Abram lived in a city called Ur. And around 2000 B.C., there were about four or five cities in the Tigris-Euphrates Valley that Ur was one of those cities. And in fact, even at 2000 B.C., in many of those cities, they actually had running water in the homes of people who were not the wealthiest in the city. That's how sophisticated they were. And when we read the story of Abram, we discover he was no poor man, even at this point in his life. He already had lots of possessions. And Jewish tradition says that his father, Terah, was an idol maker, a worker in silver and gold. Abram was a wealthy man. And when God tells him to leave his family behind, he's talking about his extended family, his nephews, his nieces, his cousins, those kinds of people. And just like it is today in the Middle East, that's the way it was back then, that extended family of yours, that was your business connection. 
That was your social network. That was your security. If you ever got in trouble, you could call up your cousin on the phone and he'd come and help you. And God is telling Abram to leave all of that behind. Everything he has spent his whole life finding security in, finding hope in, finding peace in, God tells him, now I want you to leave it because I've chosen you. But it goes a little further than that. Do you remember what God said to him? He said, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave all those securities behind. And I want you to go to the land I will show you. Now, let me ask you this. If I drive up out of ch after church here and I open my passenger door and you're walking out at that time and I say, come on, let's take a trip. What's going to be the first question you're going to ask me? Where are you going? And suppose I say to you, oh, don't worry about that. I'll show you when we get there. You would be a fool to get in the car with me. Because as far as you know, I might be one of these preachers that's an axe murderer, and you might end up on the side of the road somewhere in pieces. Now, that's just the reality. There are lots of preachers that are that, by the way. Okay? So you're not going to get in the car with me if I don't tell you where we're going. In fact, you might not even get in the car with me if I tell you where we're going. But I can tell you this, in Jackson, Mississippi, there are three little children that if I pulled up in their driveway and I opened the door, they would fight to see who could get in the car first. They would fight as to who was going to sit in the front seat with me. And they wouldn't even ask, they wouldn't even think of asking, where are we going? Do you know who those three little children are? My grandchildren in Jackson, Mississippi. Now, what's the difference between you and my grandchildren? Why would they hop in the car with me and you would be saying, where are we going? How long is it going to take? What's it going to cost me? Are you sure we're going to get back in time? The answer is, they trust me and you don't. They know me and you don't. Do you know what the biggest obstacle is for you and me Hearing what God says to Abram here when he says, <clears throat> I want you to leave all this stuff behind. I want you to leave all your security behind. Do you know what the big obstacle is for you and me being willing to do that? It's because we don't trust in the right things. We would prefer trusting our jobs. We would prefer trusting our spouses we would prefer trusting our children. We would prefer trusting our parents. We would prefer trusting this local church. All the connections we have, this country that makes us feel so safe, we prefer trusting those things rather than the God of heaven and earth. There's a wonderful truth, however, then it's this. All those things I just listed, your country, your spouse, your children, your parents, your church, your business, your job. Do you know one thing that's true about all of those things? They will disappoint you. You can't trust them completely. But there is one whom you can trust to love you, and care for you like no one else could possibly do. And do you know who that is? His name is Jesus. 
Now, if you're here today and that sounds like nonsense to you, I want to say to you, come to him and trust your life to him and you'll find out it's not nonsense. You will find out that if you will give your life to him, if you will entrust your life to him and go wherever he leads you, then you'll find that is the best life you could possibly have had. And even more than that, it's the promise that if you do that, you'll have everlasting life in the new creation with him. It'll be amazing if you'll just trust him. But do you know what happens to people who have trusted him for a while? They begin to lose that initial trust in Jesus and begin to drift back into the ways they were before, trusting the other things like their friends, like their families, like their jobs, like their country, like the economy. And they trust in those things and put all their hopes there. And when that's the case, the people of God who are greatly loved by him, they freeze up and they wither up. God says to Abram, you're my chosen man. You are my specially loved man. But you've got to understand, this is not a chance for you to freeze up in complacency. It's a chance for you to trust the right person. And that person's me. The right trust. But then God speaks to Abram about the right kind of expectations. Do you remember what he says to Abram? It begins in verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. Sounds pretty good. Leaving a big nation, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you, which basically means he's going to make him rich. I'll make your name great. I'm going to make you famous, Abram, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse whoever curses you. So if you ever get in trouble, don't worry, I'll take care of it all. Well, who wouldn't have gone with God when he makes those kinds of promises? And so Abram, just like you and me, I'm sure he expected God to take care of everything. God was going to make him into this great kingdom. God was going to make his name great. God was going to pour out blessings on him. He would protect him when people got in his way. He would protect him and he would take care of Abram every step along the way. And you know, many times that's exactly what Christians today think that God's going to do for them too. And our expectations are turned inside out. Because when you think that that's what God was promising Abram and promising you, as soon as things don't work out quite that way, what's the first thing you start to do? Pull back, become complacent, become saddened and sullen in your Christian faith and wonder, well, I'm not going to turn away from it, but is it really all that important anyway? So think about Abram's life for just a minute. God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'm going to make you rich. Well, how much land did Abram ever possess in his entire life? When his wife died, he bought a burial plot. And that's the only piece of land Abram ever owned. Instead, he spent his life wandering around here, wandering around there. And when people would push against Abram, there were times when God would assist him and give him success. But there were also times when Abram just had to take it. 
And should that really surprise us? I mean, after all, think about Jesus himself. And what was his life like? How much land did Jesus ever own? The answer is none. How many friends did Jesus have in this world? Barely any. How many enemies did he have in this world? Every single person practically that met him. How much success did he have in this world by the world's standards? None whatsoever. And yet he was the chosen one. He was the one loved by God in ways that no one has ever been loved by God before. Have you noticed that that's the way life is? That even when you get some good things in life, they disappear like that? I go around telling people every once in a while that it snowed last year in Orlando. Did you know that it did? Yeah, we had snow here. It was great. I know it did because I, like all my neighbors, got out at 3 a.m. in the morning and we all turned on our headlights and you could see it. It was fabulous. Right around January the 5th or so. It was great. Three in the morning. If you were up, you saw it too. But you know what I tried to do? I tried to catch some of the snow in my hand. And the snow was so fragile that before it would touch my hand, the warmth of my hand would melt it. Now, do you want a picture of what the possessions you have in this life are like? That's it right there. All these things you work for day after day after day. All these things you struggle for year after year. All the things you want. All the things that you think will make your life good and wholesome and secure. They melt before they barely touch your hand. They're gone. A lot of you who were here back in the days when I was here, which was a long time ago, are as old as me now. And those of you who are as old as me now know this is true. That all the things we worked for, for all those decades, they are disappearing right before our eyes. It's time for you and me to begin to adjust our expectations. Sure, it sounded to Abram as if he would get these things right away. But what Abram learned as he went on his whole life was that, yes, he would get little snowflakes that would drop out of the sky every once in a while. But by and large, he had to wait. He had to look forward to those blessings of a great kingdom and a great name and the riches and the prosperity and the blessing and the protection from those that cursed him. He had to wait. This is why the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham always had his eyes set on the heavenly city. That no matter what happened all of his life, he kept his eyes focused on the new world, the new creation, the world to come, because that's the only way you can manage your expectations for what this life actually gives you. And so here we are now. Having been told, oh, don't worry, if you love Jesus, he'll take care of you, everything will be okay, and you've lost your job. Your house is going into foreclosure. You're cutting staff at your church. You're getting sick. You're losing loved ones. Your children are in rebellion against Christ. Your spouses have left you. 
All these things that we hold on to so dearly and work so hard to attain in life disappear right before our eyes. And if you focus your attention on getting them, holding on to them, making sure that they stay secure, knowing that the only thing that will possibly make your life good is to have those things, then this is what will freeze you up and shut you down as individuals and as families and as a church. It amazes me how I hear followers of Christ reacting to the economic crisis, we so-called, that we're having in our country. Because do you know how most Christians are reacting? They're reacting just like unbelievers react. What are we going to do? What's going to happen to us? We can't move forward. Life is falling to pieces. Of course it is. But you see, our hope is not in these things. Our dreams are not attached to what we can have in this life. Our dreams are in the life to come that Jesus has already purchased for us, that Jesus has already entered into. And he says to us, don't worry, don't worry. I gave it all up. Do you see what I got for giving it all up? Do you see what I got for letting it all go? Do you see what I received for being a faithful servant of my God? And he says to you, the same will be true for you. It will all be yours. Get your expectations in order. Of course, if the most important thing in your life is to make sure that you can retire with the same amount of income as you had during your working years, then you're not going to be able to let go. You're going to be seeking to grab those things that will secure that dream just as much as you possibly can. And so you'll watch your local church suffer for the sake of your retirement. You'll hear about brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are in desperate need of your help, desperate need of your help, for the sake of you being able to maintain your swimming pool after you've retired. That's what we do. And that's how we freeze. So God says to Abram, Abram, I'm choosing you, but you've got to trust me more than anything else and you've got to get your expectations in order because it's the world to come where you will receive all these blessings. But then he says to Abram, as I bless you in this life, there's a reason for it. Listen again to what he says, beginning in verse 2. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You know this is true. Because here is God choosing Abram in 2000 BC to be his servant. And God says, I'm going to make you the conduit of blessings to every nation on this entire planet. 
my blessings to every nation on this entire planet. And do you know the evidence that God did what he said he would do? You are the evidence of that. Because while the God of heaven and earth was being worshipped by Abraham in 2000 B.C., what were your ancestors doing in 2000 B.C.? You know what they were doing. They were pillaging. They were butchering. They were destroying. You know what pagan ancestors you and I have. And yet now look at you. Because Abram was a faithful follower of God, he became the conduit of salvation to pagans like you and me all over the world. And that is how magnificently God used Abram as a conduit of his mercy. And it tells us something that's extremely important for you and me. When God lets those snowflakes fall into your life, he doesn't give you those snowflakes of blessing for you. He gives you those snowflakes of blessings for the sake of spreading them to the world. Amen. I had a friend here in Orlando, in fact. I won't tell you who it is. You can torture me. I don't think he's here today. He called me up and he said, Rich, I've got to tell you something. I can't tell anybody else because they'll think I'm being proud and I think you'll understand. I said, well, okay, go ahead, tell me, what is it? He said, I have to tell you about my daughter. Now, at the age of 16, she had received, like people did in her socioeconomic group, a new car. She knew it was gonna happen, so she runs out on her birthday morning into the garage and there it is, big bow on it and everything, a foreign you know, sports car, all those kinds of things, okay? She got her great blessing from her father on her 16th birthday. And I said, well, that's really great. No, it's not. That's really great. <laughs> he said, yeah, but that's not it. Let me tell you what happened. What happened was she started coming home late every afternoon. I said, really? That's, are you happy about that? She would even miss supper sometimes. Are you happy about that too? He said, oh, yeah, I'm very happy now. I wasn't then because I found out what she was doing. Here's what he found out that his daughter would leave school in her car every afternoon and she would go to two different nursing homes in the neighborhood of her school and she would go to those nursing homes and take orders from people in the nursing home for what they would like to get from the local supermarket or from Walmart or wherever it may be. And she would spend her afternoons going to the stores for these people in the nursing homes and that's why she was late. And he said, for three months, I didn't know that's what she was doing. I couldn't understand why she would always be late because she didn't want to tell us. Do you understand what's going on there? That 16-year-old girl understood what you and I don't seem to get. And it's this, that when you get something in your life that's good and wholesome, it's not for you. It's for other people around you. I hope you have a magnificent house. I hope it's fantastic. 
But that house is not for you to be your castle, to be your place to hide from the world, for you to give yourself these luxuries. So how are you using your house for the sake of spreading the blessings of Christ to others? I hope you have a great car. I hope you have two or three of them. But the question today is, how are you using those cars to spread the good news of Jesus around the world? I hope you have a fantastic job and you're making so much money you don't even know what to do with it. But the question is, what are you doing with that money? How are you using it to spread the good news of Christ around the world? You have a good marriage? Wonderful. Is it an instrument of God's blessing to others? You have good children? Fantastic. Are you using that as a blessing to others? You have a good local church? Is it for you? Of course it's not. It's for Orlando. Abram had to believe that the purpose of his life was to be a conduit of blessing to other people. Thanks be to God that Jesus looked at his life that way too. Because Jesus put up with a lot he paid a heavy price and he didn't do it for himself he did it for you and he did it for me and he says to you and me it's time for you to continue what I did when I was here just as Jesus was a pipeline of blessing to the world our lives are to be pipelines of blessings to the world My mother was right when she said this. When she said, if everybody calls you something, it's probably true. Now, when people around the world look at you and me and they say about us, you know, American Christians think that God really loves them and that God has chosen them in a bigger way than he's chosen any other group around the world. And then they get to know us and they go back home and they say, but where's their spiritual life? Where's their joy in Christ? Where's their devotion? These people over there who have been given so much are frozen. They're dying. When they say those things about us, it's probably true. So how can we break with it? The answer is, start to trust the right person again. The answer is, get your expectations straight and know that the blessings that you're to receive in Christ are primarily in the world to come. And the third is, when those snowflakes fall in your life, use them for the sake of the kingdom. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we bless you that we know that you did not freeze up on us. That you did not shut down. But that you continued to trust your Heavenly Father and you continued to have the right expectations for your life and you continued throughout your entire life to be a conduit of blessings to others. 
how we pray that this can be true of us. May it be true of us as individuals. May it be true of our families. May it be true of this church so that you may be praised and you may be honored. Amen.